Hello everyone, Luke Peters here. Don't worry, I still don't deserve a podcast, but I think I deserve to give you a little disclaimer. These episodes were recorded about a year before they're being released, and that is mostly due towards my own imposter syndrome, with a little bit to do with the global pandemic that's going on. Uh, The guests are amazing, the topics are stellar, and so I just knew I had to get them out there. On top of these few episodes that were recorded in 2020, there are new episodes planned. So keep your ears and eyes peeled for new I Don't Deserve a Podcast. I really love the format. I really love chatting with creatives, how they deal with the imposter syndrome. And I can't wait to chat with people about how they're dealing with this pandemic. Um, With all of that out of the way, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Luke Peters. You're listening to the show. Do I deserve a podcast? Do I deserve anything? Who knows? That's what the podcast is here to find out. We got an amazing guest here today. He is a creator. He spent some time in the army. He, I'm making it out like it's like a fun, wacky thing, but like you did a lot of really cool stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Lucas Caravetta. Hey, how's it going? I just can't help but my voice just sounds so much better. Yeah, no, it's you leaving this space. You just are like, oh, I'm garbage. And yeah. you just hang out here. Like, Raj will just let me hang out here for hours and just talk to myself. It's not recording or anything. It's just me being like, hey. Oh, hey, Luke. I have I, a whole love life in here. This is this is my, like, little, like, mind box. I would do characters. I would just have a whole set of characters constantly doing them and seeing how my voice changes every time. Whoa, hey, gang. Oh, my God. This is more off the rails than my mentor episode. And I the funny it. thing is, people at home are listening to this and don't hear what we're hearing. They probably just sounds like two people talking. No, I mean, it, it sounds really good in the podcast. Like, oh, great. Yeah, yeah. No, like, the, the people here at Soundcaffin are doing an amazing job. Great. Spoiler. Um, No, it's coming out in a while, so it's fine. Speaking of... That's a bad segue. Um, (laughs) We're off to a great start. This is the issue with having really cool, amazing people in the space, is I get flustered by how awesome they are. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it right now. Yeah, you're between two Lukes. Um, I wanted to talk to you about kind of your journey and because we 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 met a few days ago and you were talking about the idea of trying to create a little more structure in regards to evaluating the arts and how you can use that to build uh the creative field in a better direction especially if people are going to school for it Mm -hmm. but i think a really interesting thing about you that i've kind of recently figured out is just like you have such a breadth of a background and i think Mm -hmm. that all of those things and that's with anyone like all of the skills that you've learned and you've picked up all kind of come together i want to talk to you quickly just off the top about your time as you were a military engineer correct Mm -hmm. can you talk to me about what inspired you to go into that field and then how some of those skills like the structure and the regulations and the regiment how that's kind of carried over into your more creative field now Mm -hmm. joining the army was a choice that i made thinking that it could it would be the hardest thing I would ever do in my life. So if I could do it, I figured maybe I can do anything afterwards. So that's what inspired me to join. 
And then what I found out was something completely different. Yes, it was probably the most challenging part of my life, but I met so many great people and I learned a lot about myself and uh, I did things I never thought I could do. Um, and um, I guess, I don't know, what like, I think there's a lot of, ex there's a lot of stereotype of what happens in the army. And first of all, this is the Canadian army. It's different than, you know, any glorifications in movies of like the U.S. Army, for example, or the Marine Corps. Um, the Canadian Army is is very well organized. It's very well structured, and there's believe it or not, there's actually a big uh, um, a lot of focus on 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 safety and uh, mental health and physical health and um, whatever expectations people might have of what goes on uh, could still be happening somewhere. But uh, my experience was actually very positive. Um, what should I say about it? I learned a lot of stuff about group dynamics, how to how to lead, how to follow, how to work together, how to build something. Um, working under pressure was definitely something I, I got a knack for. Um, and also just to like be able to build things, use your hands. Like, I don't know, I find I'm, I'm most of the day to create something on my laptop or if I'm in the studio working on a piece, I'm thinking, well, this is all just so abstract and figurative. Wouldn't it be nice to be on a construction site moving brick? Because I can see the building happening. I can see the work being done. And in my creative world, I can I can hardly see the final product yeah. when I start. And it's frustrating. And even when you're done, you, it's like you don't know how it's going to look on like, like if you're doing like a film, like you don't know how it's going to look in a theater. You you don't go and you're like you know what let's just uh let's throw this rough cup on the theater see how it looks oh you know what it looks a little odd if you're sitting here let's go fix that you know you don't have that option where it's like yeah if you're working on a construction site you can see the building you can see the scaffolding going up you can see everything kind of come together yeah so is it weird for me to say that it's all it's probably more stressful working in the arts than it is in the army because that's what it feels like to me wow it was it was. The army made sense to me. You, you, like I said, you build something, you work, you get it done, you work together. Camaraderie happens naturally, and so I get my fulfillment and I get validation from my peers when I do a good job. And in the arts, I find that there's just, like we said, there's no sort of concrete answer because it never really ends. And we're always in progress and process, and we're always changing. And I find it a very, very, it can be liberating, and I find it a beautiful uh, place to like find um, yourself or find myself but um the I, I'm lacking what I need in life which is like a solid answer and I think that's the difference and like when you were in the army like it's it, it is very like structured and regimented like you wake up at a certain time you go do this that that and then with the arts it's more along the lines of hey what went wrong today or what am I scrambling to fix or this this and that you know like it's it and from someone who hasn't been in the army that's kind of makes sense like that kind of tracks because i think that that's a huge thing about the the arts and specifically in film and like television and just like digital media like there isn't a lot of structure there isn't a lot of regiment and the only time you see that is when it's these bigger productions and a lot of the times that helps so much like you if you go on a shoot and there's no shot list there's no structure at all you really really are up against a wall and everything kind of goes wrong your really only savior is like structure i kind of believe that i think working under restriction is actually one of the 
greatest things, a blessing actually, to work under a time frame, work under a uh, financial constraint. I think those are the best ways to get the best out of people. However, it might be different for everyone, but I totally, I totally feel that. I would love, and I think this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I'd love, could you describe a problem, like a, a specific challenge that you had to deal with in the army? And then on the other side of it, a specific challenge you had to deal in the arts. Like, hey, we had we were tasked with doing X, Y, and Z, and then this is what happened. I'd just love for the audience to hear, like, what a difference in regards to the structure and everything and how much a good structure can help. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd have to get a specific example of, you know, because the arts are so broad, right? Like, if we're talking about a film, theater show, uh, yeah. know, an exhibition... Um, if it's t- anything that's task oriented yeah i mean uh for example in the army we, i was an engineer so we would be building bridges and uh there was a time frame it was you know get this bridge built in a certain amount of time so you'd have to allocate your resources you'd have to motivate each other you'd have to um you know you'd have to delegate tasks to get this thing done as soon as possible in the most efficient way and i think that's the same um, but the difference is in the army, you're, you know, you're encouraged to raise your voice and you're encouraged to do whatever means necessary, you know, while being safe with each other and, and, uh, trying to be as respectful as possible. But there was no cap on how intense you could be to get the job done. And, uh, in the arts, I find that that is not always the, the most efficient way to get something done. I, I can't be at an art gallery being like, all right, go, 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 get these things on the wall now, now. Um, and, uh, at the same time creating something like how, and this actually, it ties into what I want to talk about today. It's how do you give the same sort of sense of, uh, you know, uh, completion work? exactly in a, in an environment that's supposed to be abstract or it's supposed to be artistic and expressive um you can't put a regulating voice on that or a structure on that but you need to get if it needs to get done it needs to get done so i know this might be a little bit tough but like can you like a ballpark how long say for instance you had to build a bridge how long did you have to build that bridge well you'd have to get it done before the end of the work day so for example if we started at 9 a.m it'd have to be done by five and depends how big the gap is you're trying to cover but we'd have to build it up and tear it down, actually, because it was a training exercise within the workday. Wow. So we're looking at before lunchtime, that bridge has to be done. And if it's not, then, you know, you're going to have to... There is no... There's a lot of money involved, too, right? There's no... Uh, they can't keep us for another day to utilize the resources and the staff. Mm-hmm. So you have to get it done. And uh, and it's dangerous. And I remember one time we were, uh, we were booming this bridge, and it was on these wooden uh, sort of scaffolding while we... Um, sort of had to bring it back down on a, a prominent structure. And myself and another, my friend, I'm laughing because my friend um, and I were kind of like known as the jokers in our in our squadron. We were in charge of lowering this bridge at the exact same time. You have to stick a rod in this thing and turn it slightly and the hydraulics lower down and both sides of the hydraulics have to lower at the same time. So we stick it in these, this thing and we have to turn and we look at each other and I crank my turn and he goes gentle and bam, the boom, the bridge falls off the wooden scaffolding no. and smashes down and everyone's freaking out and we're looking at each other like, wow, we just, we are responsible for the entire day's loss. And, uh, and it was like a heart dropping experience. What and were the, what were the consequences for that? Well, well, you get, you have to pass the course. So if I did not perform well on this bridge build, 
And if it was like a, you know, let's say the, the final, you know, one of like an assignment that we were delegated, which it was, if you didn't pass that, or if you got a failing grade on it, for example, you would have to redo the entire, entire course. And this could be a three month long course wow. that you would be having so to redo. So it's one moment. It's like five seconds that basically affect like three months. Almost. Yes. Cause there's testing and that's just with bridge building in the combat. When we did our combat training, we're using weapons and you have weapons testing. So for example, if you're doing your weapons test, cause the whole two week looks say, for example, for one weapon, you're learning how to use, you're learning how to take apart, you're learning how to safely, um, do safety emergency stuff. If you gets in jammed or something. And, uh, by the end of it, you have your test and if you mess up the test, then you have to redo the entire entire two week. You're not certified for that weapon, and uh, you're not going to be desirable in your regiment if yeah. you're not able to complete those tasks. And I think that that's something that has a very different feeling in regards to the arts. Like, if you don't, like, say, for instance, like you're working on a film and like you're exhausted, you're editing and you've been editing for a while. If you just pass out from like being tired and you wake up and you're like, shit, I'm not going to get this done you're just like bullshit like like you you, you're left with a very i guess that in that sense it really does translate over where you are left with this this drop in your chest of like oh this didn't work and especially even like if you like export something and like you put it out in the world and then like after you've sent it out you're like oh wait there's a mistake in this Mm -hmm. you you have this sense of like there's nothing I can do. And you're just left with this like really like awful feeling in the middle in like this, the, the pit of your stomach. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think, like I said, it ties in a lot to if you're working in an artistic environment or especially if it's in a school environment, yeah. I think you're left with a very similar, you know, feeling because it's art, it's expressive. It's supposed to be invigorating. It's supposed to be something that's important to you. But if you're in a school and you're getting graded, mm-hmm. isn't that the same situation as you'd be if it was a, you know, a work experience or yeah. how the heck are you supposed to, uh, utilize artistic resources to express yourself, but do it in a way where you're getting graded or you're getting assessed. I mean, that's only going to hinder, especially if it's a personal exploration, a personal journey. Um, but it has to get done. You have to pass the course so you can get your acting certificate or you can get the audition. And yeah. how are you supposed to enter that state that uh, gives you the most freedom but do it under such restrictive circumstances? Well, it's it's funny because we're going to talk about how do you evaluate the arts uh, in a sec. But I, I, I was thinking about like rubrics a lot and like my kind of process when I was going through school. And I was thinking about like... I think it was probably like grade 10 or 11 where I started like using the language of the rubric to my advantage instead of just being like, okay, I have an assignment. Here's what they ask you to do is like, I started asking for rubrics from all of my teachers. And instead of looking at the assignment sheet, I would just go by the rubric and literally like check off lines of dialogue that was on the rubric. And that's something I learned from my drama class. Like the, there was like the, and this is so weird. There's like the cool kids of drama And then there's, like, the kids who are just, like, good at it, but, like, they don't, like, they're not, like, trying to be, like, popular or anything like that. And then there's there's the kids who are, like, struggling, of course. And so I wasn't, like, cool or anything in high school. And, like, so when I was doing these classes and, like, I was doing well, but my teacher wasn't giving me, like, really high grades. And I don't know if it was a popularity contest, but, like, 
I was doing like the best work I could do. And it kind of goes back to your whole, like the whole thing we're going to talk about is like, how do you evaluate that? But then I started being like, okay, you know what? I'm going to just look at like, why am I not doing as good as I am? And I saw the technicalities that I was like losing marks on. I'm like, oh, it's just the rubric. It's just because I'm doing it a certain way and everyone else is doing it a different way. Because like at this point I had my improv background. So like I had my, my own tools and like talking about your time in the military, like you build your own set of like your toolbox of skills. So to end off the little tangent, it's like, I learned there was like this one assignment where like we had to do uh, like a script and like none of us could memorize our lines in time. So we built up this whole idea of this person going insane and all these things were just popping out at them. And we literally have our scripts behind squares and we just pop out and say our line. And like we got a great mark because like technically we did everything. That's right. And like, yeah, like was it the dumbest thing in the world? Yeah, of course it was. But it's, it's drama and it's a drama class, which is just insane. Like it's an insane like theory to be like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to do drama, do this monologue. I'm going to give you a grade. If you fail a grade, you have to retake this class again. Exactly. You're not good at being dramatic. Exactly. And that uh, that's a frustrating thing for me to experience or for anyone to experience. But it's got to get val. It's got to get graded or assessed somehow in order to pick the best people out if mm -hmm. that's the right so i guess it also depends what sort of setting it's going to be in but yeah it's a frustrating thing well like the crazy thing as well is like you think about like you're like okay like it's weird to monetize art and where to um have like a rubric for it but like people have demo reels people mm -hmm. have like their resume that is an assignment that you have put out to the world that you are going to be graded if you right. do well if your demo reel is good then you're going to get a client but it's crazy where it's like if i'm showing a demo reel to someone and i see them losing interest i'm like okay i have to cut that clip mm -hmm. that's the grading i failed on the part where i showed a slow motion video of someone getting doused in canola oil <laughs> And then, like, someone, like, other people mentioned, it's like, hey, why is this not in your demo reel? It's like, oh, because certain people didn't like it. It's like, yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. It's so weird. It's so weird. And the more I think about it and the more people I have on the podcast from, like, different, like, streams of art, you tell, like, how many, like, you can tell, like, they've been through thousands of these evaluations. Yeah. So you were talking to me about, uh, a few days ago, about you are right now working on starting your like thesis and starting like a master's program on trying to find an evaluation that works better for the arts. Yes. I'd love to hear about what kind of, I mean, we've kind of talked about what kind of got you into that, but what specifically got you into that program in regards to like your interest in it? Well, I did my master's of fine arts in theater acting specifically. And, uh, that was a program that was very much an introceptive process that was graded and assessed. And after experiencing that, I just thought to myself, a lot of this feels subjective. And I don't know, I'm only just assuming that the, the people who are assessing me are qualified to. And uh, I had some great teachers uh, yeah. at my school. Yeah. But, uh, and I was lucky, I think, because I had such wonderful teachers. But I'm thinking, what about all those really bad studios or the, the really bad programs that have teachers who just happened to be a commercial actor for 20 years. They happened to get lucky and book 20 commercial roles doing advertisements for, you know, BMO and McDonald's. Yeah. And because of that, the college or university or studio was saying, well, come take acting classes from this esteemed commercial actor. Uh. Now there's a, there's a classroom setting here 
and there's people that are taking this class and how do we know that there is proper you know standards set in place safety especially yeah mental safety you know physical safety are are you know is this person who's facilitating this class i would assume and hope that the institution you know evaluates them accordingly and gives them all the proper training but I mean, everyone has a story where they've heard, where they've, you know, uh, and not just in acting, but in music. That movie Whiplash, is that real, by the way? That can't be real. Where the guy's throwing stuff at the drummer? That's so terrible. There, there is a really great essay that, or video essay that goes over with someone who actually went to jazz school about what's right and what's wrong with it. And I'll, I'll send it to you so you can see it. But, Please. Because I, I think that, and that'll be great for, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll tag it for the in the podcast because I think that is something really interesting to talk about that glorification um this is a story that is a little bit uncomfortable but i think it really drives home your point we had these like docudramas in our high school and our drama teacher like we had like our teams and like we had i guess like maybe like a few months to make something and then at the end of it everyone would go up and there was like this someone did the stanford uh, prison experiment uh we did jack the ripper and uh we had this idea that we'd have like um one of the characters like it's basically like the rashomon effect everyone's going over their alibis and we're seeing it from different perspectives um what we what my alibi was for it was that I was gay and I was with like my lover or whatever but I can't say that because it was of the time mm. uh and we wanted to have a kiss in the scene and my drama teacher took the one kid in the school or one of the one kids in the school who was like actually homophobic and actually was really uncomfortable by the idea like not like mean in any way just like it made him really really anxious and not to say that that's right in any way but like you could tell that it was making him anxious. And he's like, okay, you are going to be doing this scene with Luke and you have to kiss Luke on the lips in front of your whole school, in front of your parents who have very similar views as you. And dress rehearsal came and we did the scene and I got off on stage, like off of him, like, hey, are you okay? And he's bawling. Yeah. He is so sad and so upset. And that shouldn't be allowed. That shouldn't be something that people have to go through and i don't think that i'm alone in that everyone has stories of their drama teacher pushing them in this like really weird thing and it's like all for the sake of art and i get it like you create really cool stuff when you're vulnerable but like at what cost because i bet you anything that affected him negatively in regards to he still has those same points of view mm -hmm. and so I think you are talking about something that's really, really important. We really need to reevaluate how we look at the art and how we look at and evaluate like learning in regards to the art. So talk to me specifically about what you hope to accomplish with this with this project. I'm in very early stages, but uh, I'm applying to several PhD programs and looking for, you know, sponsorship and funding to start working on um, a bit of a not just a curriculum or a workshop to better the um, acting experience um, for students especially anyone who's learning especially those who are coming from a non-theater background because I sure. think that's a, a, a lot of people I want to target are the people who are not familiar with uh, theater training yeah. and come into it because I think they might have the most you know stereotypical view of what goes on in a theater classroom and I need to that needs to you know get stripped away so that they can come from a place that's um, you know that's that's just very 
open to start, but at the same time, make sure that they have the safest tool. Like everything is just a very safe process. So um, what I'm working on is a way to, um, basically a way to how to quantify the acting experience. Now there's many different techniques, but the ones that I'd be focusing on are more introceptive work, you know, uh, you know, coming from a place inside of you and uh, accessing an optimal state of play. And yeah. uh, I take a lot of my research from uh, a few specific books. One of them is called Flow, and it's a, uh, a very popular book about the optimal state. But uh, so now, if we can somehow magically one day uh, track the sort of the biomarkers of that experience, yeah. I'm assuming that we'll get some great uh, information, but also the actor and the teacher can literally look at quantifiable results on a screen, let's say, so that both parties can look at it together and it's not just, like I said, the subjectiveness of one person saying, oh, you got to that state, great, you get an A+. And the student might be like, I did? Oh, great. But now both of them can look at it and be like, oh, I see why. Based on these cortisol levels, based on these biomarking, tracking things, there can be a way to actually look at the process. Yeah, and I think that's something really interesting because it doesn't necessarily have to be a part of every single assignment. It's just that beginning of the year until you get to that point. You, you brought up the flow state and you brought up this kind of like this kind of mental state where you can just go. And I think that that's something that improv specifically, because that's like my background has helped me a lot. Like there are points where I've done shows where I'm going like 25 minutes and I'm just going and like there's no anxiety there's no nothing you're just in the in the zone and it's funny you watch some of the videos of me performing and my eyes are closed <laughs> and it's like like there's there's like whenever i'm singing for an improv a lot of the times like my eyes will be fully shut and it's just because it's like you're in that like mental like state and those are the best songs i've ever made is just because yeah. it's like you're in that state where it's i forget what it was but it was the um Open Mike Eagle was put into an MRI machine and was rapping and there was like piano players and a bunch of other people doing um, like making art basically in an MRI ma machine. And once they got to the flow state, basically all their brain function shut off except for the frontal cortex. Right. Which is so insane. Like your fight, flight or flight and all that stuff. It's like just that. It's just like go. Can I? So can I ask you, do you think there's a way to access that same state you were feeling uh, first of all, access it, uh, you know, if someone's telling you, hey, I want you to access the state, does that immediately put you in a box? Or do restrictions, like, how do you get to that state on your own time? I think that it's really, really interesting. I think that, like, I am someone who is very much an extrovert to, like, the empth degree, where if I'm, like, by myself for a day or something like that, I feel awful for, like, a bunch of days after that. And so I think that if I'm, like... If I have, like, if I'm stimulated in some way, like, even with a conversation, like, after I talked to you, I was, like, just the most productive I've been in a really long time because I really liked what you were talking about. And we had, like, a really nice chat and we were, like, joking, having a really good time. And, like, I immediately went to, like, my job where I'm, like, working with kids and, like, I was, like, so, I felt like I was on the ball. Like, I felt like, okay, we're doing this, 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 this. We got a lot done. Um, so... To answer your question, I think that it's different for everyone. I think that you have to figure out what your stimulus is. If that is like if you have to go do a talk, if you have to go do a lecture and or you have to go perform or something like that, is it like I need to take a day by myself? I need to recharge. Or is it like I have to go talk to people? I need to like talk to the audience like or is it just like I need to meditate? 
or I need to eat a good, like, good meal or get a good sleep. Like, everyone is different in regards to what they need to get to that state. But I think that human beings need to be at that state more because I think that when you're not in that state, that's when anxiety and that's where this fear of failure and basically the imposter syndrome, like even this like need for perfectionism, if you are just going and having a great time, you don't care if it's perfect because it is perfect. That's right. Because it's you. <laughs> I totally think that there's got to be a way somehow without going crazy with it, but where schools or institutions of learning can offer that, you know, that option where, hey, if you have to do a final presentation or something, you know, obviously you say, oh, I want red M&Ms and I want a whole bottle of Gatorade and uh, I'll be good to go to get into my state. Well, not everyone can provide that for you. So I guess, again, working in the restrictions, right? Yeah. But well, I think, it, yeah, I think it really, sorry, just really quickly interrupt. It's like that idea of like the first week of class, it's just, it's like improv workshops. And like you see what works for people. And then that second week is you write something that you write not necessarily a paper, but like a reflection of like what worked and what didn't. Mm -hmm. And then the next week after that or so on and so forth, you spend the entire year doing these assignments and kind of building out. I, a really great um, friend of mine, Ramira Price, is working on, I think she's trying to get her thesis. And the whole idea and I'm not going to like spoil too much of it because I don't know what her kind of process right now is, but is trying to give more open-ended assignments where the the message is the assignment and the medium is up to you, mm -hmm. where you really can create whatever you want to tell this story. And I think that's such a huge thing. I took this night class at OCAD on like color theory and I didn't have any background in like painting or anything like that, but some of the other people did. So I did all my stuff in graphic design. I took a song by, I don't know, it was like uh, oh God, Alabama Shakes, and I had different colors that were uh, pro like that were uh, on opposite sides of the color wheel, like were flashing to the beat. So lower, uh, like lower notes were like blue, and like higher notes were like red, and like just having this like kind of like flashing kind of thing. And like other people made these beautiful paintings of themselves, and it was like, oh well, why does this represent you? And I think that's what's what is really important is, does it fill out the curriculum, and does it represent does it represent a certain amount of work? Right. I think that's the most important thing of all. And then you've actually put a, a big nail on the head there is that when I teach any sort of acting I actually start with improv because I need your relationship to be clear the dialogue I think is just so secondary yeah for sure and I think that the most important thing is are you connected are you in it and are you offering yourself and in that if that's the case then heck if you can pile dialogue on top of that afterwards that's that's the next step but I think at first is you need to have that base connection you need to be able to be in that state otherwise it's just gonna look fake and phony I think a big thing with that too is like I was the, literally the last episode we were talking about kind of uh, this gentleman's process through being a stand-up and stuff like that and he was talking about like at the end of the day you just want a human interaction mm -hmm. and even if it's just stand-up you're still performing with that audience it's just you don't have a scene partner to bounce off of so I think that looking at education in general and reevaluating how we teach like this school that i'm teaching right now is actually they don't give homework which a lot of schools are doing now and you have these kids who are like oh, i'll do it at home it's like no you'll do it now because if you're doing it at home there's distractions there's other setups and then you're also getting a lot more information in a shorter period of time because it's jam-packed you're having it's fun 
like we're literally just making documentaries with kids and they're having a blast they're grade 10s and i've never seen like them so we're making videos about garbage and they're like yeah let's do it so pumped what if like the cigarette butt was his best friend and like what if there was a puppet that came out of the garbage it's like yeah we actually have puppets this is great (laughs) and i think that that's the same thing across the arts is you have to have you have to reevaluate we have to really reevaluate how we teach oh we do and i i say that to myself all the time And, and i it's a big thing to have to change because it's been done the same way for so long but it needs it needs to it needs to be reevaluated and and things need to cuz that's the learning process like yeah. everyone's different you can't expect students to sit in a desk and stare at a wall and, and assume that that's the way that they're going to you know going to learn and find themselves yeah so. i think it works and i think that this is a kind of a controversial opinion but i think it works more in a university setting than in a high school setting because it's more sp- specified to something that you care about and you're passionate about so but i think that your approach of reevaluating how we teach drama is a really great step in the right direction because i think that if we can reevaluate how we teach drama and and give it like quantifiable numbers then we can have that feedback carry out through everything else exactly and it's not left to the whim of just some person who is you know hired to be the facilitator but um, I can tell you from experience that many people are in that position that should not be. Oh, for because sure. Because they're not qualified and they don't have the proper training and they come from an old school way of teaching where their word is God. Yeah. But who's to say that is the case? The problem is many actors go to, let's say, New York or L.A. and they just think, well, if I want to be an actor, I have to go there and I have to do whatever the teacher says. But, you know, everyone, you always have to be questioning, why am I doing this? Why is this person doing this? And uh, people need to speak up more as much as they can. And uh, and don't be afraid to ask those questions of, you know, uh, explain to me why this is your process of teaching and how this is going to be effective for me. And, and so that people can be start, started to be held accountable for, yeah. for their Cause I Yeah, I think that, like, the, the accountability aspect of it is, is huge. Because, like, I may have been more of an acting guy if... I had gotten a really great experience through high school but at the end of the day I was like dreading not dreading but like I wasn't enjoying my drama class as much I was enjoying my classes at Second City mm-hmm. and then the the Second City kind of mentality of it like being it's very cliquey in Toronto for improv and so that kind of hit in and now I'm doing my own stuff and I'm like really enjoying it but I think that you are all you are is a sum of your parts and I think that if we give kids more opportunities to be successful especially in the arts then we get more of that mentality that you had being an engineer of we're going to work towards something it's going to be great instead of oh i'm freaking out and there's all these things that could go wrong Mm -hmm. yeah it's a it's an interesting place to start from and i just i think about all the time that i was training and stuff in the in the canadian forces and how many times i thought if this went badly someone could die yeah but in in my world now it's i mean you know anything could happen but uh i need to remember that that i'm doing this for uh the consequences are just going to be my ego yeah for the most part and yeah. i need to keep remembering that so that um i don't restrict myself and of course i think we are our worst you know critic yeah well think. it's crazy like i one of my friends who's like around my age she was like late to hanging out with a group of us and she's like oh yeah someone died on set so we couldn't leave until we dealt with that. Yikes. And and you see 
just a look like you're not like in the army and like I I don't want to assume anything but I'm sure that you're kind of in that impression of like you're doing dangerous work and you've kind of had to set yourself up to be in that mindset but like if you're working on a show or something like that you're not you're not expecting to be like oh I'm not going to see that person again right and I know that's very but dark to the get the funny onto, thing but, yeah. is the funny like I said earlier the funny thing is some of the acting stuff I've done has been more scary than anything I would have done in the army because yeah. that's just not at the forefront of my mind but what is at the forefront is my my status my ego I'm thinking oh my gosh if I don't do this I'm going to be socially outcasted which uh, weirdly enough sounds more scary to me than being you know shot or something because yeah. uh, it just has for me it has a long more long lasting impact based on my my you know my past and stuff but I uh, I'm working towards I'm working on it to not let that be such a you know restriction on me so I guess my next question for you is just do you have a specific kind of direction you want to go in this or is it more just kind of explorative like you want to get to the the conclusion on with the help of this grants and this like experience I think yeah I'm totally in process right now with it what I do know is that I have some ideas of how to go about it but i think there's a lot of uh, work that i need to do there's a lot of studio time i need to experience and i need to put on a lot of workshops and have lots of different people in and see where it goes however the end goal is to eventually you know, be a be a i mean there's a great organization i don't know the full name but it's uh they're called intimacy coaches and a few of my friends are part of this organization where they work and they go around to theater productions and schools and they they basically teach the you know actor and uh, they encourage the facilitation of safe intimacy practices for scenes that are have like you know um, uh, physical touch or more emotional scenes that um, so I'm thinking how great it would be to be sort of uh, in that same boat of being able to go around and offer a program or curriculum to schools um, for the teachers as well as the students on uh, on how to more safely and effectively communicate acting curriculum to people who have never done acting before yeah. at all. And I think that's where it goes wrong the most. First year acting courses or acting for non-theater people or improv classes, people are, you know, my boss told me to come here because I'm, you know, I need to work on my group skills. Okay, well, if that's the case, how do we introduce this to you in a safe way and effectively yeah. and not in a way? And adapt the content to your needs. Like, exactly. yeah, you can have this whole thing where it's like, oh, clap, focus, we'll do that, we'll do that, we'll go through. Or you can have like, okay, uh, one word at a time story. It's like, that's not going to specifically affect you. Those are skills you can carry over. But wouldn't it be great if at least one day and one part of it, like, you have a really specific thing where it's like, here, you now, as an improviser, here's a pitch you have to do. You, we're all going to sit around in like, because normally it's in a circle, we're going to sit in like boardroom style setup, and we're going to just hear you pitch something. And then that's something where it's so small that when you go and you're in that safe space that looks similar or like even just a little bit similar to what you're actually dealing with, then when you go to that boardroom, when you have to go do that meeting, it feels like, oh, just another improv scene. But this time you have all the information. That's genius. You're a genius. Well, I mean, I try my best. I don't deserve a podcast, but I try my best. <laughs> You're genius, man. No, that that's exactly right. Why cannot you recreate the scenario so that when you do get to that actual place, you're not sitting there being like, I never, I have no, I have no access of what this is supposed to feel like. Yeah. I think everyone deserves uh, a place where they can do that, and they deserve the help of a facilitator and the people around them that are working, if they're colleagues or whatnot. 
I think, yeah. Because how else are you supposed to go into a, a real life scenario? You, you can't. That's why I hate the whole let's sit down and talk about it. No, let's do. Let's get yeah. you in that scenario in a safe way and find out how we can, you know, get you in and out of your comfort zone uh, in a way that's effective but safe. Yeah, and I think that you, the fact that you brought up the intimacy thing is 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 so paramount because wouldn't it be great if we didn't need an intimacy coach to help? this process what if the teacher was there to help you learn things in a safe environment what if hey i really like doing science fiction like radio dramas cool let's go look at some science fiction radio dramas and see why you like them and i know this is kind of taking it off a little bit but like lower the stakes you have the same idea it's adapting a plot adapting a question to a situation. I think that adaptation is one of the most important skills that people don't really talk about. I don't like audio, but I know the value of audio. So I take it from a storytelling point of view. If I close my eyes and I'm watching a video or I'm listening to a video, what am I noticing? What am I missing? What am I not getting from this? Mm -hmm. And then I open my eyes and I'm like, okay, these are all the things it's great at. Is there a way I can tell this story or this journey, or take this adventure without that. And I think I, it goes over, and I talk about it all the time, I play Dungeons & Dragons a lot, it's like, you have nothing holding you back. The only thing you have is like the rules of the game, but that's great scaffolding to have. Mm-hmm. And I think looking at a lot of the arts, and looking at a lot of classes from that mentality of, Let's try and adapt this to something. That whole idea was like, I'm not going to use this in school. Like, I'm not going to use this math outside of school. It's like, okay, let's take the parabola. Let's take whatever math theory and try and adapt it. It's not always going to fit. It's it's like a puzzle. It's not always going to fit, but it might fit into that spot where it's like, okay, that looks very similar to like a sine wave, like a waveform. Right. How do we adapt the lessons from that to carry over? Like I took a font class and they taught me how to calculate X height, which is like basically the height of a lowercase X, I think. I hope I remember (laughs) that. Anyway, uh, like that's a skill that I learned for very specifically for that. But that still idea of equations and everything that that I learned that when I was in high school and I had to use it later. And people are like, oh, we're not going to use math in this program. It's like. Math's everywhere, my guys. I'm so sorry. I'm exactly. so sorry to let you, let you burst your bubble like that. You know, and that's what I think I would love to happen. That you're not taking away from any curriculum, but you're finding those connections and those adaptations, so that people from all walks of life. Like I said, I was teaching a non-theater, uh, a theater for non-majors course, and these students came from the science program, the law program, and they're there and they're looking for those connections and they're eager about it. Yeah, but the curriculum didn't offer that. No, so I had to take time to be like you know what do you do on a day-to-day basis well you know i i you know i work on like you know uh law papers and stuff i say okay well let's go through a scenario and see and through that you can see the connection starting yeah. to build in their brain and then when they get on the stage and do it suddenly they're they're flowing they're moving and and only thing they're facing now is just sort of like the audience watching them and restrictions of dialogue but and they're sometimes the they're zone. even and sometimes they're even better than the drama kids because yes. the drama kids have had this built-up stigma of like oh i gotta be this this and this like there's kids in the class who who didn't ever did drama so i have to be better than them I'm telling you luke i saw some people shine that should be on broadway they should be on netflix and yeah. these were just non-theater kids yeah they're like oh that was fun i guess and it's like no that was great <laughs> like you should you should really consider this it's an option for you and i think that's the thing that 
we're really not setting people up for having things be options. Like any class in high school, like the fact that like they're like history, English, like math, like French, whatever you're taking, these are all viable passions. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're really not set up for passion in the public school system. Like a great example, and and don't get me wrong, it's not completely to do with the teachers. Like we are really not set up for success. Like when I was in high school, like I have a learning disability, so I had like an individual education plan. So I am writing, when I dictate, I when I was in grade three or four, I'm writing, I was writing at like a, a grade 13 at the time level. Mm-hmm. when it was dictation but when it came to actually writing it down i was at grade one i was three years behind and as i continued through high school and the iup wasn't really used very much because it's kind of a drag for a teacher to be like okay go ahead luke r- r- tell me what you want to write as it kind of went in and i got tested again as an adult it evened out a lot more yes mm-hmm. i'm still a little bit higher like in that I think like 96 percentile or something ridiculous but there's still that that thought where it's like what if this was really nurtured from a young age mm-hmm. what if i continued to have that huge gap where the right written hand was a few years behind but dictation was a few was many years ahead mm-hmm. and i think that like that's a very specific example in regards to a learning disability but i think that's general i think that if you're someone who is excelling at math how do we take those skills how do we take that quantifiable skill and transfer it to the arts and i think that you're totally right it is really really amazing and important work and it's something that's it's doable. It just needs a little bit of time, extra time. Yeah. That you know, organizations might not want to spend the resources to do. But I mean, if you're going to foster learning and you're going to change the way people learn, uh, it, it will take some time and money and help. Yeah. One step at a time. But it's one step at a time, and I think that's a great a great way to look at it. Is like yeah, like all this stuff is doable. Like it's it's crazy to think that you and my friend are looking at this from very, very different sides of the spectrum of like education. But the end goal is just like quantifying and like adapting content so people can actually learn, mm-hmm. you know, because they're not set up to success at all. I just want to strip down all the barriers so people can see what they're worth and they can actually see in a classroom setting or in any setting that they are amazing and they can be amazing and they should not have to feel like they are not able to uh, accomplish anything. And that's why I, I focus so much on acting because I think it's a, a place where people walk into immediately if they're not familiar, they go, oh, this isn't for me. I didn't do well in drama. I don't do drama. I don't do improv. Yeah. This isn't for me. Well, you'd be surprised because every day you're utilizing the skills that we're trying to teach yeah. you. You just have to gain more awareness of it. And it's there and it's in you. Just believe in yourself. But then I understand that they're trying to get a degree and they need that, you know, that need they need the GPA. Yeah. They need to get into their next because of whatever reason, you know, whether it's, you know, parents that are expecting them to complete or they have, you know, a job that they need to get. So I'm also like, oh, I want to give you everything at the same time. But I, I need to know that you're, you know, putting in the right amount of work. But there they are. They need to get that that number. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, speaking of amazing, this we're, we're ending or we're leading to the end of the episode. I wanted to thank you for like I, it has been a really incredible time. And I love chatting about this. And I think that our audience really should know about this side of the imposter syndrome and this side of the fact that you're not really set up for success and so of course you're going to feel like an imposter in your own life because your life isn't set up for you and i'm not saying that everyone's the center of the universe but 
every once in a while, you should kind of feel like that. You should kind of feel that you have that self-worth. Uh, I usually, at the end of the episode, ask for like three tips you can give our audience for um, for dealing with the imposter syndrome. But I'm going to switch it a little bit. Okay. I want you to, and this is a little bit of throwing it on you, I want you to give me three ways that you think people can change the way they learn. Hmm. Anything that you're good at, that's a strength. Try to use what you're good at to work on yourself more. And don't judge what that is. Can that be two? Yeah. And uh, the third thing, what was the question? <laughs> I have a learning disability change. too, man. Yeah. Uh, listen, you don't deserve a podcast either. It's fine. Uh, I was just, it's uh, how can you change your way of learning? Like how you, how you look at learning right. and, and growing. Right. Uh, look at it from all angles. Um, don't expect to do everything the same way. For example, if you write stuff down to learn and you stare at a wall or you read, try to get up and move around. Be kinesthetic or vice versa. And um, I would say uh, use the people around you as a resource, not as a competition. I think that's what I'd have to say. Well, speaking of a competition, this was a win in my books. <laughs> God, that was the best segue. Between two Lukes. Between two Lukes. Coming soon to uh, all your favorite platforms that are, yeah, great. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. I'd love for you to just plug all the stuff you're working on. And is there any way for people to kind of like follow you on this kind of journey? Yes, I have a film production company. Uh, it's called Lubox Media. It's uh, lubox.com, L-O-O-E-B-O-X.com. Same on Instagram. And um, I'm working on a lot of great stuff, mostly uh, music videos. I have some great uh, songwriters and singers that I'm working with. It's a very, 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 very lucky um, time in my life to be able to explore in that sort of department. And um, otherwise, no, I don't have anything else to plug. I just want to encourage uh, people to keep listening to this show because you're, you're a fantastic individual. You, are, you, you can do so much. Oh, well, I'm sure you say that to all the Lukes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say the last thing is you talked about the book Flow, which we'll tag in the description of the podcast. Any other resources that people can check out if they're really curious about this topic? Yes. Uh, utilize Google to look at um, uh, anything regarding uh, intimacy coaching in Canada. And um, if there's any other questions you have about safe practices in the workplace, um, feel free to you know uh, look at your local resources. I know WSIB has some, but uh, never be afraid to Google and to Google and see what's out there in your community for how to uh, safely engage in education and uh, especially anything that's physical, whether it's sports, you know, theater training, or anything that's kinesthetic. Know your well, your privileges, your rights, and, and all that stuff. Any specific resources you can recommend? Um, well, any HR department in any organization, if you're, ever, if you're ever working on something, there has to be a go-to uh, resource center. So I'm assuming and I'm hoping that if that's not set up, you should make sure there is or make sure it is before you get into anything that you've never really done before. For sure. For sure. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Talk soon. Talk soon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you.